Welcome to Between the Stitches, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. Two former college teammates talking about what they know best, baseball. Welcome back to Between the Stitches. It's been a while. It's been a long, 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 long time. Episode 30. All right. It's been over a month since since we've done a full Between the Stitches episode, mostly because football season needed to end. Uh, vacations needed to happen. Certain things needed to unfold. And honestly, baseball season just needed to start. Uh, because it was, there was just nothing to talk about. It was very limited uh, in the sense of content or topics or things to discuss because there was no games being played. There was no rules being implemented. There was not much. Uh, but since we've last recorded a Between the Stitches episode to today, a lot has happened. And that's why we're recording episode 30, beautiful episode 30 today on... Tuesday, February 28th, 2023. So, got a lot to talk about. We got extensions. We got owners being annoying. And then, of course, the big topic, only a couple days into spring training, is the rule changes. Okay? So, before we talk about the rule changes, right? Because these are, those seem to be the main storyline of the early parts of spring training. We will talk about Manny Machado. Manny Machado signed uh, a six-year contract extension with the Padres, but ends up turning into, from today, basically, it's an 11-year 350? 11-year 350 million, something like that. 11 years, he's staying with the Padres for the next 11 years of his career. Uh, Shout-out to Peter Seidler, owner of the San Diego Padres. Shout-out to AJ Preller, GM of the San Diego Padres. These guys are pushing the envelope in what I believe to be the best way possible. Right? Most people didn't know this was a thing. Most people didn't even know that this was a possibility for a team to sign MVP caliber players consistently to nine plus year contracts. Bogarts, Machado, Tatis. Now, supposedly, supposedly, uh, Machado hinted at in his press conference, supposedly signing for an extension for Soto in some capacity. With the contracts that, that, that we got with Bogey, myself, um, Toddy, um, hopefully Soto next. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's great. We want to win with the contract. Let's listen to that again one more time. With the contracts that, that, that we got with Bogey, myself, um, Toddy, um, hopefully Soto next. You know, I mean, it's, it's, it's uh, you know, it's great. We want to win. Hopefully Soto next. So if they sign Soto to an extension, uh, I, I mean, it's just like, what are we doing? It's just insane. 
So, Padres lock up Machado. They have Tatis for 12, year, 12 more years. They have Bogarts for 11 more years. And they got Musgrove for five years, Darvish for five or six years. They have a really good foundation. Jackson Merrill is a young prospect outfielder that they're going to call up at some point, if not this year, next year. But this is huge. Huge for the game. And it's sending waves through Major League Baseball. Waves. Okay. Um, ignoring the fact of his own team itself and the comments he, he's made on this, Dick Monfort, the owner of the Colorado Rockies, had this to say about the San Diego Padres and the pressure to spend more money to compete with teams in their own division, like the Dodgers and the Padres. He says, let me, let me, let me paraphrase or let me, let me lay the, let me lay the full groundwork. Okay. Rockies owner, Dick Monfort has notably, obviously, and deliberately not invested in the future of the Rockies as a team. He owns the team. He had the opportunity to keep guys around like DJ LeMahieu, keep guys around like Trevor Story, keep guys happy and around like Nolan Arenado. Uh, but instead, he chooses to own a franchise that operates on a profit-based business model. Because the Rockies, being geographically located in Denver, never have to worry about attendance being an issue for their team. Consistently on a year-in and year-out basis, the Rockies are always, 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 always top five to top seven in attendance. They're always top five to top seven in just uh, percent profit margins, basically, based on the TV contracts that they have, the attendance that they draw in, and how much they pay their team. Because that's the biggest expense for any Major League Baseball team is the employees that you have to pay, whether that's the... Coaches, obviously the stadium employees, but mostly and most significantly the players on the field. The Rockies generate enough revenue to easily fall into the top seven, potentially top five in payroll every single year. But they choose, they choose not to because they're operating on a basis where they want to turn over a profit and bring in as much money as possible to the pockets of the owner's uh, and executives that are involved with the Rockies as a team. So when a team has that thought process and a team operates on that basis, like the Rockies do and like Dick Monfort does, they're always going to be critical of a team and an owner like the Padres and Peter Seidler, who are projected to exceed 260 for $270 million in payroll in this upcoming season. The Rockies' projected payroll for the upcoming season is $163 million, which puts them 16th in baseball, right in the middle of the pack. So they have the 16th highest payroll, yet they are top five in attendance and top five in, in profit margins. And uh, Dick Momfort is asked about the Padres and the pressure on the Rockies 
to spend more to compete with teams in the National League West like the Padres and the Dodgers. He says, as we head over to uh, this article by the Denver Post, and this is an article by Patrick Saunders at the Denver Post, Dick Monfort, on the issue of the Padres like we talked about, Dick Monfort says, that puts a lot of pressure on us. But it's not just the Padres. It's the Mets. It's the Phillies. This has been an interesting year. He goes on to say, what the Padres are doing, I don't 100% agree with. You're kidding. You're kidding you don't agree with it. I'm so shocked by that revelation that you, Dick Momfort, who operates on an apparent and extremely obvious profit-based business model, you, of all people, don't agree with how the Padres are spending their money and the fact that they're spending so much money. You don't agree with it, Dick Mumford? I'm shocked. I'm baffled. I cannot believe it. The guy who's greedy and just wants money doesn't agree with the owner for the Padres not being greedy and spending money. He says, what the Padres are doing, I don't 100% agree with, though I know that our fans probably agree with it. We'll see how it works out. First of all, there's nothing to see how it works out. There's nothing so far, and even what's gone on, this offseason and last season in general, there is nothing that would indicate it's not going to work out for the owner of the Padres, Peter Seidler. Because even if the Padres don't win the World Series, which is the ultimate goal for every team, right? But realistically, only one team can come out on top. Sometimes the team gets hot in October, and that's the end of that. And some teams run into bad luck. Some teams run into injuries. That is neither here nor there. But what is for certain is that the Padres owner is spending money and investing in a product that brings fans out to attend the games. And in doing so, he generates more revenue for his team and himself as the owner. The Padres have shut down season ticket sales for the upcoming 2023 season. They have closed it off. They're out of season tickets. The allotted amount of tickets in the stadium that are season tickets are, are done. They cannot sell anymore. They held a fan fest uh, back in the early parts of February, and they drew over 150,000 fans in one day to come out and meet the players and go to the stadium and, and get autographs, take pictures, go on the field, et cetera, et cetera, right? All the things that are involved with a fan fest for a team. The Padres do 150,000. The Rockies, the Rockies, uh, didn't have a fan fest. The interest in the Padres as a team from the fan base is at the highest level it's ever been in the organization's history. And the Rockies owner is questioning whether it's going to work or not for them to invest a little bit more to their payroll, spend some money on some players to put a good product in the field. He says, we'll see if it, if it works out. We'll see how it works out. 
He then goes on to say, I look at the Padres, and they have a really talented team, but they have some holes too. I look at the Padres, and they have a really talented team, but they have some holes too. They've got three, maybe four starting pitchers, and then they're sort of like us. They have Musgrove, Snell, and Darvish, so I don't know. They have spent a lot of money, and they will have to spend a lot more if they want to keep Juan Soto. But it does put a lot of pressure on you. Yes, it does. So he's criticizing the Padres as a team, claiming that they have lots of holes. Just like the Rockies. Just like the Rockies. Rockies have holes. Padres have holes. They're about almost insinuating, you know, like th th those two teams like might be competitive. Comparing a team like the Rockies in the 2023 season to a team like the Padres, just roster specific, it is so misleading to the organization and to the fans. It is, it's such a, de a deception, an obvious deception by him. If you go into the fan graphs projections and the playoff odds for every team in the National League, and you scroll down to the National League West, the Rockies are projected for 65 wins in the upcoming season. Their percentage chance to win the World Series, again, according to fan graphs, is 0%. 0%. Their percentage chance of making the playoffs is 0.1%. And yet, the Rockies owner, Dick Momfort, had this to say about his team. We have a lot of talent. A lot of good things are going to happen. And I think they're going to start happening this year. And I think we can play 500 baseball. We think our team could be around 500. He also touted the Rockies farm system that has four players in the top 100 uh, for Major League Baseball's top 100 prospects. He said, we had four of them, but I kid you not, there could have been 15. He says, we have an incredible amount of talent in the minor leagues, and some of them are going to be up this year. He was then interviewed after the uh, Northern Colorado Friends of Baseball breakfast that he made those statements on. He was interviewed after that event and had this to say. I think we have a competitive team. 
And I think we're learning some things that we need to learn to do differently. I think this is a year where we can really step it up a little bit. This is a year when people need to take a step forward and some of the new kids need to come in and show excitement knowing that they are more that there are more coming in behind them meaning more prospects coming up behind the prospects that will be up this year apparently. Keep the faith here. I think we are on the right track. I'm more confident now than I was last year. He added that last season he thought a 500 record was in the cards. How'd the Rockies do last year in the NL West standings? Oh, that's right. They won 68 games. But uh, Dick Moffert thought that 500 was in the cards. Okay. Well, then they must have lost, like, I mean, half their lineup to injuries, right? I mean, they must have lost four starting pitchers uh, because to go from a team that's at 81 wins and a team that's at 68, I mean, a lot of things have to happen. He added uh, last season, 500 was in the cards, but injuries uh, after the scene, he added that 500 was in the cards after the Rockies signed Chris Bryant to a seven-year, $182 million contract. Chris Bryant only played 42 games, so there's an injury. And a number of players failed to meet expectations. He said, I think 500's in the cards, and if stuff goes right with expanded playoffs, who knows what happens? That's the sort, that's sort of what we thought last year. And then as it ended up, Chris didn't play much and we ended up a little worse than what I thought. So to recap, the Rockies owner thinks last year they could have been a 500 team. He thinks this upcoming season, they could also potentially be a 500 team, but he doesn't really agree with how the Padres are going about their business and he thinks that they both teams have holes and he's not entirely sure if the, the approach the Padres ownership is taking is going to work. Uh, in conclusion, based on my personal opinion, and if I was, let's just say, uh, play God or I would, I had the ability or the, the power in some way or another to like automatically sell a franchise like to like if I'd say I was a commissioner and one of the commissioner's powers was to go all right you have to sell the team like force a force a sale of a team which obviously isn't the case and would never happen uh because Manfred is a mouthpiece for the owners anyways if that were the case and I was the commissioner and had that power I would immediately and instantly implement that the Rockies must be sold to a different ownership group as soon as possible because Dick Monfort routinely, consistently, and repeatedly misleads. If you, I guess you could call it, obviously, there aren't majority or minority shareholders of the Rockies, right? Uh, but let's just refer to the fan base and the diehards and those invested in financially into the Rockies, whether that's season ticket holders, like I said, or diehard fans or um, employees of the franchise on the smaller level. Let's call them shareholders for the sake of the argument. Dick Bomford is the definition of misleading the shareholders. Misleading. 
if he was running a Fortune 500 company and those people I just mentioned, season ticket holders, fans who come to the games, let's just say, for example, minority shareholders, um, employees, and he did this exact same thing and essentially uh, said the same things in different contexts for, let's say, in, in a business environment for a Fortune 500 company, he'd be arrested for misleading the shareholders. Fraud, potentially. Um, but he doesn't care. He doesn't care about season ticket holders. He doesn't care about the fans. He doesn't care about the employees. He doesn't care about uh, the players. He doesn't care about any of them. He does not care about any of them at all. He wants to make as much money as possible. Maximize profit margins. I mean, just maximize as much as you can. And on top of that, maximize without getting asked questions and hearing about it. Because those other owners on these other teams that aren't paying their team anything, right? Because the Rockies sit at 16th in payroll. These other teams like the Oakland A's, Cleveland, Tampa Bay, right? Those owners get grilled consistently and always have to hear about it because it's like, how are you paying your team $50 million? How are you paying your team $65 million while there's other teams paying, you know, like the Padres, like the Mets, 260, 270, 300 million. Monfort keeps that payroll right in the middle of the pack every year, 160 million, 16th in the league. In the meantime, pumps out top five in attendance numbers every year, huge TV contracts and maximizes profit margins. So if it were up to me and I was a commissioner of the game and I had the ultimate power to, to force the sale of a team, the first team I would sell as a, a forced sale wouldn't be Oakland. It wouldn't be Tampa Bay. It wouldn't be uh, Cleveland. Uh, and, and for the simple reason of the Rays have no attendance. The Rays put out a good product on the field. They win games and they still get nobody. Same with Oakland. Oakland's had a, a couple of good, solid playoff run stretches and years. And they still get nobody. It's because both of those teams have really bad stadiums and play in areas where baseball isn't necessarily the number one or even number two priority in a lot of ways. The Rockies don't have those problems. Coors Field is beautiful. They are top five in attendance every year. But based on all those different things, you would think they'd be at least... Top 10 in payroll, top seven, maybe. They had the money for it. Dick Montfort should sell the team uh, because he's an absolute clown. He doesn't know. Well, he does know. I shouldn't say. I was going to say he doesn't know anything, but he knows everything because he's smart and rich. He just deliberately misleads uh, the fans, and he doesn't care. He obviously doesn't care. Uh, so the people I feel the worst for are Rockies fans. Uh, and the person, the people I feel the second worst for are the players on the Rockies because, well, I guess ultimately those guys are getting compensated pretty well, but those guys also care about winning and they are never going to win, never going to win if they're on the Rockies. That's why Nolan Arenado forced his way out. He got his big contract and ultimately, as it turns out, the big contract isn't the number one most important thing to a player. Arenado wanted to win, and he realized quickly that, that that was not going to happen on the Rockies. He had two playoff appearances. They played 
the Diamondbacks in the wild card game, and then the next, and they lost, and they played the Cubs in the wild card game the following year, and they won, and then they lost in the first round and got swept by the Brewers. So, Aaron Otto realized shortly afterwards they let LeMahieu walk, they let Adovino walk, um, they didn't sign anybody, and then all signs are indicating that they were going to let Trevor Story walk. He's like, why would I want to be here? Just trade me. Oh, and then guess what the Rockies do? They trade Arenado. Oh, and they pay the Cardinals $50 million of his con- of Arenado's contract. Disgustingly poorly ran organization for the Rockies, as far as a good product in the field. Clearly, they're able to turn over a profit, uh, but they, they don't care about the fans. They never have. They never will. And it's pretty sad. It's pretty uh, pretty disappointing. At the end of the day, for the Rockies fans, and that's the main group of people you have to feel bad about, but until they are able to force an ownership sale of the team, nothing will ever change in that organization, and they will continue to be bottom-of-the-barrel performers in that division and in the entire league. So, that covers the Machado situation. That covers the Moffitt situation. We've had some spring training games go on. We've had a lot of different things to talk about, right? We've had players coming back and they're in their new uniforms and we got the World Baseball Classic coming up. And if you guys have already bounced out of their teams to go uh, catch up with those World Baseball Classic teams. Um, but at the end of the day, World Baseball Classic is great. It's going to be really fun. It's going to be a good sort of uh, tide over to get us lined up and ready to go for the full Major League Baseball season. But since spring training has started, as a fan base, we've been able to see the new rule changes being implemented into games for the first time. Competitive baseball games. The main uh, new additions to Major League Baseball are as follows. Number one, pitchers are limited in the amount of disengagements from the rubber that they can have. I believe it's per batter, if not per inning. Uh, But ultimately, pitchers are limited to the number, number of times they can step off the rubber or pick off the first base during, I believe it is per batter. Um, it may be per inning. Again, I'm not entirely sure. But the rule states, actually, let's let's look it up. Um, Pickoff rule. Okay, twice per plate appearance. So, let's say they would lead off walk to a super fast base runner Trey Turner or Michael Harris Acuna Ronald Acuna is on first base and I'm pitching I could pick off once then I could pick off twice during the same plate appearance if I pick off a third time he has to be out if he's not out then it's a balk. Automatic balk, runner gets to second base. My take on the pickoff limitations rule, the new pickoff, let me say this. 
Here's my take on the new pickoff limitations rule that's being implemented in Major League Baseball. You get two pickoff attempts per batter. The third pickoff attempt, the runner needs to be out. Otherwise, it's a balk. If I'm a pitcher, which I was in college, and from based on what I know, I want to be able to pick off as many times as I want. Also, I want to be able to hold the runner on for as long as I want. Because the beauty of baseball and the cat and mouse game between the base runner and the pitcher is the timing itself in which the runner is able to take off for second base and try to steal. And if I'm pitching, I want to be able to look in, get my sign, come set, and I want to be able to sit there and hold it for as long as I can until either the batter calls time at home plate, the base runner calls time, or I guess if I step off. What the new pitch clock and pickoff limitations is doing to me, it's not allowing me to do that hold and let the base runner's feet get set in the ground, thus making it harder and his reaction slower for him to steal second base. I want to be able to pick off and then hold for 15 seconds and then pick off and then throw a pitch. Get the ball back and then hold for 15 seconds. Call time. That's fine. Come set. Pick off again. Doing all that disrupts the base runner's timing and doesn't allow him to, hmm, I don't know, just get a free base to second. Because now if I'm a base runner and the guy picks off twice and I'm safe, guess what? I am gone. I am gone to second base. I am leaning so hard. Almost automatically leaving as soon as I see any sort of bodily movement at all. That includes against lefties. Stop trying to micromanage the game with something like limiting pickoffs. This was never a complaint before. Nobody was talking about, oh my God, these guys pick off too much. It was never an issue. And they just throw it in. Next thing you know, guys are going to be running all around the baseball field left and right. Oh, it's increasing the action. But then they're stealing more. And there's less. Then they're stealing more. And it's going to take more time because then you got to throw it to second. And then the hitters are still going to get out at the same clip as before. And the runs aren't going to score. And it's just adding the same amount of time to the game. So it doesn't really do anything except just micromanage the pitchers for no reason at all. I'm not in favor of it. I think it's stupid, and I think they need to just get rid of the pickoff limitations because it wasn't a problem before, and it's not going to be a problem if they remove the rule. Pickoffs is not an issue. It should be between the base runner and the pitcher, the cat and mouse, so that the pitcher doesn't let guys just get free bases. The second new one is the bigger bases in baseball. Again, on the same track as limiting the pickoffs for the pitchers, the bigger bases does literally nothing. It literally does nothing. The only minute, small area where it may have a tiny, tiny fractional impact is when a guy's running full speed to first base and he's got this much more room to step on the bag so he doesn't step on the first baseman. Why don't we just not worry about it? Unless it becomes a serious issue that is a repeat offender 
causing significant injury to the players on the field. Or just do the first base uh, like softball and leave the rest of them because who cares? Again, unnecessary, doesn't do anything, wasn't a problem in the first place. And another example of Manfred just micromanaging the game and acting like he's making an impact when he's not, doesn't do anything. Banning the shift is another one of the rules that's being implemented in the 2023 Major League Baseball season. And the banning of the shift is twofold. Number one, it's rewarding hitters and probably more specifically left-handed hitters for having a bad approach at the plate. That's what it's rewarding. Because there's a lot of other hitters in the league. I don't know, guys like Jeff McNeil, guys like Jose Altuve, guys like previously Tony Gwynn, where they were never shifted against. Never, ever, ever shifted against. Why? That's right, because they hit the ball to all parts of the field. Because they emphasize contact. Because they put the ball in play to the opposite field for their handedness. Now, when Joey Gallo gets a changeup down and away and snap hooks it into right field, well, it's a base hit. But it's a terrible, terrible approach, terrible swing, but he's getting rewarded for having a pull happy three true outcome approach that hasn't changed anything. Because it was my understanding that Major League Baseball wanted to increase the action, more balls in play, more hits. By banning the shift, you're actually encouraging guys to have a worse approach at the plate. And guys like Joey Gallo to try to yank everything, yank it. Because before, they tried to yank everything, and if they weren't able to get it up in the air for a home run, they would top spin the ball, and they'd be out because there'd be a guy out in shallow right field, shifted exactly where he hits the ball every time. If you don't want to get shifted, hit the ball to the other side of the field. Or if you just can't do that, if you just simply just cannot hit the ball to the other side of the field, if you're a lefty and you just cannot hit the ball to the left side, get up to the plate, turn your shoulders, and bunt the ball right at where the third baseman be playing. You're safe. It's a base hit. And then you come up a second time. Let's say they're still shifting against you. Turn your shoulders, square around, and bunt it to third base. Now you're two for two. Two base hits. Let's say one of those two times, or maybe both, you come around to score. Guess what's not going to happen the third time you come up? The shift. Now you can get in there, do your stupid snap hook approach, yank a ball to right field for a base hit. But when they're giving guys base hits for free and they're not taking them, I don't feel bad for those guys when they're not taking those hits that are right in front of them. Oh, but it's impossible to bunt. Do you know how hard it is to bunt? Guys throw 100. Practice. I don't know what else to tell you. Set up the jugs machine to 120 miles an hour and practice bunting. I can tell you what, bunting 100 miles an hour is a lot easier than trying to square up 100 miles an hour on the outer half and yank it to right field. Bunt inside pitches, bunt outside pitches, bunt curveballs. They have machines for this. It's not hard. But they ban the shift to help the hitter. Perfect. Okay, you know what? They ban the shift to help the hitter. Oh, wait, now there's a pitch clock. The hitters are getting consistently 
strikes called and outs called on them because they're not ready in the box with eight seconds left on the clock. Hitters can't go through their mental routine when they swing and miss at a pitch and they need to reset their physical and mental approach at the plate. They got to jump back in, get ready to go. Now they have the pitch clock, which if there was a benefit, if there was an advantage given to the hitter from the shift ban, that benefit, that advantage is completely nullified by the new pitch clock. They are doing things at random with the new rules implemented in Major League Baseball that is not helping the hitters, even though that's all that they claim is more balls in play and less dead time. You want less dead time, and yet these guys are striking out without actually even seeing a pitch because they violated the pitch clock. And the umpire has to walk out, and we'll get into that in a second. But they try to give you, oh, we're gonna get we're gonna help hitters out. More singles, more balls in play. We're gonna ban the shift. Also, you have to get in the box in eight seconds, and if you're not ready, it's a strike. And you have to be rushed the entire time, and your whole physical and mental approach is being it's being cut in half with the amount of time you have to work with that. And you're probably not going to be as successful. Here's your advantage for the shift ban. Oh, wait, it's gone because now you're rushed. Stupid. So now moving on to the pitch clock. Okay. New pitch clocks being implemented in Major League Baseball. We've already seen some issues in spring training. We saw a game basically end on a pitch clock violation by the hitter because of a 3-2 count, two outs, bases loaded, ninth inning, tie game. As soon as that happened, that everybody freaked out, including myself, okay? Everybody freaked out. Everybody said the exact thing that we were all worried about has come to life not even two days into the new shift, the new pitch clock. We don't want... the Major League Baseball came out and said, we're going to implement the pitch clock in the minors. Then they did... There seemed to be no issue. And the only thing you heard about was, look how fast these games are going. Look at the game times in these games. Two minutes or two hours and 33 minutes, two hours and 21 minutes, two hours and 10 minutes. I'm happy it's in the minor leagues. I'm glad it's there because those games don't matter. Those games don't mean anything. If there's a bases loaded 3-2, two outs, tie game, bottom of the ninth, pitch clock violation in a minor league game, it doesn't even make the headlines because those games don't matter. If it happens during the regular season in a Major League Baseball game, that is a catastrophic failure of the implementation of these new rules. There's a couple different solutions you can you can see for that specific scenario of the ninth inning situation. A, you can make the pitch clock longer. B, you can get rid of it in the eighth or ninth inning. Or C, get rid of it. The new implementation of the pitch clock is designed to speed up the game. They just banned the shift. Now the game's being sped up for the hitter. The pitchers can get the ball back and be on the rubber, ready to go. And the hitters, as soon as the hitter's eyes come up to the pitcher, he can start delivering his pitch. He's rushed. Doesn't have enough time. 
He swings and misses, loses his balance a little bit. Has to reset his mind mentally. He was sitting fastball. He got a nasty back foot splitting changeup. Swings and misses. Corkscrews himself. Mentally sets himself up for failure. Doesn't matter. Get back in the box. Let's go. That is ridiculous. It's ridiculous. And now, the advantage that was given by the shift, right? Because the shift's banned. Doesn't matter. Now the pitcher has even more of an advantage. Now the pitcher can go and go and go and go and go and go and go. Hitters have no time for anything. They have no time for anything. But the games are quicker. Uh, okay. That's the main argument for the shift, the, the pitch clock. The main argument for the pitch clock is to make the games quicker. Kill the dead time. Because the games are 20, let's say this. Just because the games are 15 minutes, 20 minutes shorter, that doesn't mean all of a sudden there's going to be this gigantic wave of fans that come out of nowhere that are now going to watch baseball because, oh, you know what? Before the games were three hours and five minutes, now they're two hours, 46 minutes. Now I'll watch it. Now I'll watch it. It's two hours, 46. That doesn't do anything for anybody. It's two hours and 18 minutes. If the game is too long for you, if you're one of those people that thinks Major League Baseball games take too long, then you shouldn't watch baseball because it's not a sport designed for people who look for instant gratification and tons of big explosive action and three-pointers and dunks and tackles. Baseball is a chess game. Baseball is a low-scoring game. It's just like soccer. You don't see them making the nets twice as big in soccer because it's low-scoring. It's because it's a strategy game. It's a slow-developing game. It's a mental game. But now they want the games to be quicker. They want the games need to be quicker. And you know what? To a certain small, tiny extent, I agree with that in some cases. Some guys work egregiously slow. Some pitchers do. Some hitters take a long time to get in the box. I get it. We want to kill that dead time. But in the grand scheme of it, if you're the type of person that truly thinks or you're, if you're a person who's like baseball games are too slow and boring, guess what? You just don't have to watch it. You don't have to watch the games. Just wait till the regular season's over. Watch the postseason and get entertained. That's what a lot of people do with the NBA. That's what I do with the NBA. Because the regular season, in all honesty, in a couple of these different sports, turns out to not really matter that much. Golden State Warriors find their way into the postseason as an eight seed, as a seven seed, and they go to the NBA Finals. Why? Because everybody's healthy, come playoff time, that's when they turn it on, that's when they try their hardest, and that's when they beat people. The Dodgers won 111 games last year. Padres won 89. Who won the series in the postseason? The Padres. It's almost like the regular season isn't the most important thing in the entire sport. If you think the games are too long and boring, 
watch. Just wait till the playoffs. Fine by me, but I like baseball, so I'm going to watch almost every game, especially when I root for a team that's pretty dang good. All these, all these efforts to make the games shorter are not going to do anything. All it's going to do, with the new pitch clock, we're going to run to, we're going to see just as much time used up for, oh, the guy's not in the box in time? We've seen it already in, the, in those spring training games. Timeout, umpire walks all the way around, puts his hands up, looks up to the press box, tells him, pitch clock violation. One ball, no strikes. Points at the pitcher. Takes his time. Walks back around the play. At that point, the, the pitch would have already been delivered. So... Now we're just back to where we were. Um, that doesn't make any sense. Oh, well, they're implementing the pitch clock because the games just, they take too long. And it's better for, you know, it's better for everybody if uh, the games are shorter. I'm sorry, who's it better for? Who's it better? Oh, that's right. Oh, that's right. It's better for the owners and the league if the games are shorter so that some people may be more inclined to watch, which means more money for the league and the owners and the teams. It's not actually designed for the people that are already watching the game. And it's not really designed for casual baseball fans. And if you're a person that somehow hears that games are three hours long and says, I, I don't want to watch it. And then you hear that the games are two hours and 42 minutes. Now, all of a sudden you want to watch you're weird, but because that's not going to be the case. There's not going to be a single person that hears about this new pitch clock that just never watched baseball. That goes, Oh, they shaved 18 minutes off the game time. Now I am going to be locked in to every Major League Baseball game. I agree. I agree that there is a lot of dead time in baseball. And in some games, and in some cases, probably too much dead time. But I also agree, and I also understand, that baseball is a slow-moving, chess-developed mental game. Baseball, I, I understand that baseball is like chess and that it's just as much, if not more a mental warfare game than it is physical competition. Hell hitting a baseball is a guessing game all in and of itself. They have to think, but when there's a pitch clock, they swing and miss, they spin around, lose their balance. Oh my God. What just happened? What? Well, it was two Oh through a splitter. I was sitting fastball. I hadn't thrown one of those all inning. Now this, it doesn't matter. Forget all you're in the box. You need to be in the box right now. And if you're not in the box, while I just did that thought process mentally, you need to be in the box already ready to go. Okay. Well, he threw a splitter. Does he go back to back? That's what these guys are thinking. He threw a splitter. He went back to back with it, or he could go another fastball. And then, but does again, while this entire situation goes on in your head, you don't even have time because boom, the next pitch is already in front of your face. The pitch clock works 
in minor league games and spring training games because those games don't matter. And what we're going to have is just as much time used up by the umpires making the pitch clock violation calls and and the amount of times this year we're going to have arguments and discrepancies on the pitch clock itself from players to umpires. Umpires are going to go, that's a pitch clock violation. And these guys are going to go, no, no, I was in the box. Or no, no, I'm ready to go. I was on the mound. Or no, and this and that. There's going to be arguments. There's going to be issues. And then there's going to be situations in late games with bases loaded, three and two count, top of the ninth. And the guy's going to get called for a slow-moving pitch clock violation as a pitcher, and he's going to walk in a run because he didn't deliver a pitch in time by three seconds. And to me, all of that stuff is just not worth it because the most beautiful, the most beautiful thing about the game of baseball is that there is no clock. There was never a clock. And in my opinion, there should never be a clock. Should some guys move a little bit quicker and probably have a little bit faster pace with their routine? Yeah, sure, that's fine. That's a fair argument. In which case, the league should reach out to those players individually and say, hey, can you speed it up a bit? But now, everybody's forced to change to it. And to top it all off, to top off all these rule changes in Major League Baseball, they're all being implemented from a vantage point and a perspective of a group of men headlined and led by Rob Manfred who are operating from a business and profit mindset. They don't care about the well-being of the game. They don't care about it. They want to make as much money as possible. The shorter the games, the at least potential for more people to watch, which means more money for them. Draw in the people that have short attention spans, that are instant gratification, that need action 24-7 from other sports and other fan bases. Bring those people in, make more money, because these guys have never played baseball in their lives. They don't understand or know what it takes to do what these guys do on the field on a nightly basis. And they don't care. They don't care. They want to maximize profit as much as possible. That's all they care about. And that's the only impetus for all these rules. Is the pitch clock going to be the end of the world and make baseball obsolete in three years? No, it's not. It'll be fine. But it's not going to be good for the game. These owners are concerned about people watching. They want to get more people to watch, right? If you want more... They're implementing these new rules, okay? How about instead of new rule changes in Major League Baseball and clocks and timers and shift bands 
and limitations on what the players can and can't do. Why don't you just let them do whatever the hell they want? And when they hit a ball, I don't know, 9,000 feet off of a fastball that's running in on their hands at 99 miles an hour, why don't you forget about your unwritten rules and let these guys throw their bat 100 feet in the air and pound their chest all the way around the bases and let the team spill out of the dugout and celebrate and stop getting pissed off when a guy bunts when their team is up by five runs in the eighth inning. Get rid of the old-fashioned way of thinking and disband the unwritten rules. Let the players do whatever they want, get as excited as they want, jaw back and forth at each other as much as they want. Hell, even fight more than, than they currently do. Instead of putting clocks and limitations and restrictions on what these guys can do. Well, you can't step out of the box. You got to be in the box at eight seconds. You can't go here on defense, but you can go here. Forget all of it. Forget all these new rule changes and just let them play. Because if you want people to watch, it's not making the game shorter. It's making the game more entertaining by letting them do whatever they want. Bat flips, fist pumps, screaming after strikeouts, diving plays, celebrations, chirping. Why do you think the NBA for so many people is so entertaining to watch on a nightly basis? It's not just because the points and this and that. It's the human element. It's the human factor. In baseball, there's almost no human element or, or human factor. And if there is signs of a guy's personality or human element or human factor, it's like shunned. It's like, it's like frowned upon to flip your bat or show personality. Because that's, that's disrespectful. You can't flip your bat. That's, that's embarrassing to me. You swung 3-0 and you're, you're already winning by six runs. That's disrespectful. Want to make baseball more fun? Want more people to watch? Get rid of the rule changes and the pitch clock and banning the shift and the pickoff limitations? Throw it out the window and let these guys bat flip to the moon. Let these guys scream in each other's faces. Let them do whatever they want. Bring more of the human element and the personality into the game. Let them wear whatever color cleats or sleeves, whatever they do, and forget about the rule changes. That will get more people to watch baseball. Not these rule changes. Because the rule changes are just designed to speed up the game, to try to draw in more fans and more viewers from other parts of the sporting world to make more money for the owners and the commissioner. It's not designed to help the players. It's not designed in any way considering the players because they never asked for this. They're implementing it because they want the games to go faster. They want more people to watch, potentially, with the interest now of the games not being as long as they were. It's the only reason they're implementing these new rules because they want to draw in more fans from outside of baseball who may be more attracted to the concept or the idea of baseball if the games are not three hours long. And instead, they're two hours and 38 minutes long. That's all I got to say on it. That's my rant. That's all I got for episode 30. Kind of went off a little bit, but you know what? 
it is what it is. So hopefully you guys enjoyed it. By the next time we record, this time next week, there will be uh, obviously a lot more spring training games being played. Potentially more injuries that are not good. I never wish injuries upon anybody. I mean, Joe Musgrove on the Padres broke his foot dropping a kettlebell on it. Um, Gavin Lux on the Dodgers tore his ACL running the bases trying to stop. Like, just freak accident. Sucks. Um, injuries suck, man, but they're a part of it too. But we may have more, unfortunately, by this time next week. Let's fingers crossed, hope not, and say everybody's healthy. Um, but... Either way, guys, that's going to wrap it up for episode uh, 30 of the Between the Stitches podcast. Baseball-only show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. So hopefully you guys enjoy this episode. Be sure to check us out on social media. TikTok, Twitter, Instagram. We have clips from this podcast on YouTube if you're listening on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. If uh, you hear about it or you're seeing us on social media, be sure to give us a follow. Spread the podcast around to everybody you know. Uh, and otherwise, we'll catch you guys next time on episode 31 of Between the Stitches, a baseball-only show, part of the Phenomenal Fan Media Group. Peace out. Thanks for listening to Between the Stitches. Follow Phenomenal Fan Media on social media for more. And subscribe on Patreon for exclusive content.